The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Delighted to have you with us, as always. Today, we are joined by our producer and the man at the board. He'll keep us in our lane, and that's Nathan Miller. We're happy to be working with Nathan. Today, we are going to make a trip to Jamestown, New York, the hometown of Lucille Ball. And when we get there, we're going to pay a virtual visit to the National Comedy Center. It's the kind of place that I would have thought couldn't even exist. The National Comedy Center. Wow, what a celebration of the comedic arts. Among other things, they have been gathering accolades by People Magazine, for one thing. Uh, People Magazine back in 2019 named it one of its 100 reasons to love America. Time Magazine named it one of their world's greatest places the same year. USA Today in 2020 named it the best new museum in the country. This is a place that hasn't even been open that long. What an extraordinary place to visit. And that's what we're going to do, aided by Gary Hahn, who is the Vice President for Marketing and Communications at the National Comedy Center. This is American Road Trip Talk. The interview is coming up. I can't wait, but we will have to wait through this short break. We will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, Alert Drops will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get Alert Drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. Working hard to put a smile on your face. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. Gary Hahn is a marketing, communications, and branding executive who has held leadership positions at major media companies and travel and tourism destinations. He specializes in launching new brands and reimagining classic ones at the cross-section of entertainment, popular culture, and new technology. As well, he also drives fan engagement within pop culture super fan communities. And today in his connection as Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the National Comedy Center, we welcome Gary Hahn to our show for the first time. Gary, we're glad to have you with us. Thank you so much, Gary. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. Gary, let's, let's just begin at the beginning. How did the National Comedy Center come to be? Well, we are, as you mentioned, we're located in Jamestown, New York. Uh, far western New York State, o- almost in Pennsylvania. Uh, this is Lucille Ball's hometown. Uh, Lucille grew up here, and even the ca- her character of Lucy Ricardo uh, used to mention Jamestown because it was also the uh, the hometown of Lucy Ricardo. 
uh, uh, Lucille Ball uh, uh, really uh, envisioned the National Comedy Center over 30 years ago uh, when the Arts Council of Jamestown uh, reached out to Lucy and said, we want to honor you with a museum and with an annual comedy festival. And she was very flattered, but what she really asked, she said, I'd, I'd much, I appreciate that, but what I'd really love is for a museum that celebrates all of comedy, all eras, all genres. Uh, it, uh, sadly, uh, Lucy passed away a few months after that discussion. Uh, uh, Jamestown did create the Lucy Desi Museum, which, which we own and operate. And we do a we do a weekly uh, an annual comedy festival, the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival. But it took about thirty years to finally bring uh, Lucille's original vision to life, which is the National Comedy Center. It is the nation's official home uh, for the celebration of the art of comedy, which opened in August of two thousand eighteen and recognized formally in a wonderful way by the U.S. Congress. Right. That's right formally designated by the U.S. Congress in March of 2019 as, uh, as the, uh, the nation's official home for, for the celebration of comedy. You know, Gary, I think it invites comparison when we talk about the National Comedy Center there in New York. I, among others, have said, well, it kind of sounds like the Cooperstown of comedy, Cooperstown being the home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And yet it would be it would be a little too exact to say that because the National Comedy Center, though there are Hall of Fame comedians behind it and featured throughout, there is also a unique place for the celebration of comedy as an art form. That is correct. I, I mean, Cooperstown of comedy is, is, is really not a bad analogy in, in many respects. Um, uh, but we are not a hall of fame. Um, we, we, we look at ourselves more like an art museum. Uh, so, you know, we have the Van Goghs of comedy, uh, the Picassos, uh, we try not to compare so much as celebrate all of the artists and, and across genres, including stand up, sketch and improv, uh, you know, television, comedy, movies uh pretty much any kind of comedy you could think of and of course it's not just uh the artists uh on camera but also the writers producers creators as well from the spoken word to as i understand it animation it's the whole gamut that's right animation uh cartoons original comic strips i mean many people not so much Today is as going back 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, many, many people, their first exposure to comedy was really the Sunday comics mm. uh, in the paper uh, as a kid, even you know before television and and uh, and 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 before radio. So, uh, so we do try to celebrate uh, every genre that you can possibly think of. And the reputation is that you're doing a brilliant job of it, all of you. When we go in, we enter the, the grand doors, and this is a large complex. This isn't a little storefront operation by any means. When we go into the grand entrance of the National Comedy Center, one of the first things that we would do, and I certainly look forward to doing it in person, believe you me, is to interactively, and this is a very interactive, immersive place, this kind of experience, one of the first things you do is to fill out what is called a humor profile. Please tell our listeners about that. 
yes, uh, absolutely. This is one of the most interactive uh, high-tech museums uh, in the world right now. And, and you're absolutely right, Gary. The first thing you do is you walk up to a kiosk in the lobby and create your sense of humor profile. So, so it's a kiosk where we, we ask you to click on uh, the, uh, the comedic artists, the TV shows, the movies, uh, the shows, uh, it might be some internet comedy uh, shows, shows on the web. Uh, we ask you to click on what you like and, and to kind of tell our system the kind of comedy that you love. And uh, that is all put on a laugh band uh, that we give you. And uh, it, it's a bracelet around the wrist with an RFID chip. So once you walk into the museum and you scan that laugh band as you walk in, uh, you will scan that at various exhibits throughout the exhibit and, and uh, throughout the museum. And we will then know that you're at that particular exhibit. It could be our stand-up comedy lounge. It could be our, our TV living room. Um, it might be uh, our writer's desk that we have, um, um, which kind of showcases uh, the written word and how it gets uh, uh how, how, how the written scripts turn into TV shows and what changes from the original script to what's finally on the screen. Uh, but you will scan that, that bracelet throughout the museum and the system will now serve comedy to you based on the kind of the attributes that you told us that you like. You may not even know those are particular attributes, but let's say if you clicked on um, uh, Steve Martin, and Carl Reiner or Sebastian Maniscalco, we, we have each of those comedians and TV shows and movies has certain attributes uh, that we then apply to your profile and we will find comedy that matches those attributes. That is so genius, Gary, I'm telling you. Just thinking about that, it's so exciting to think that you can create your own experience to a large degree. And you got me thinking there, I might want to go at least twice because I would fill out a different profile just to have a wider spectrum of the experience. The, the first time I go in, for example, if we're going to look at, at a contrast here, I could go in and indicate that my taste in comedy, let's say, runs toward the Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, and Petticoat Junction, all of which was thriving on CBS before the so-called uh, rural purge, I think that's what they called it, the rural purge, when that just uh, was deemed to be not the way the network was going to go. So you had Petticoat Junction uh, ending, and then a week later, here comes Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of a, a cultural shift right there. But I could go rural if I wanted to, or I could decide, you know what, I really love Seinfeld, which I do, and I want to... Um, relive some of those episodes and the funniest moments of a show like The Office. This is a, a whole continental divide in terms of where we put our attention on the comedy that is available to us all. Absolutely. And you could certainly do it that way, Gary. The other way you could do it is you could continue to add to your humor profile as you go through the museum. So let's say you did do a little bit more of the rural humor that uh, CBS in particular uh, carried in the 1960s, but then you're in our stand-up lounge and Seinfeld might come up because, uh, because you're in the lounge with other, other visitors 
and someone else uh, showed that they like, like Seinfeld. So Seinfeld might come up in the lounge. You can now scan your laugh band and, and tell the system, hey, I like Seinfeld too. And it will actually add Seinfeld to your profile. So you can continue to uh, change and expand your profile even while you're going through the museum. You guys think of everything. That is, I didn't. It didn't even occur to me. I thought, well, you know, I just have one go round, and then I do another type of comedy to have a fuller experience. But you can morph it, in other words, as you're moving along. That's right. That, that's absolutely right. That is fantastic. When we talk about the great comedians, it should be pointed out, Gary, and you have a lot more information than me, but my understanding is that there are specific comedians or acts which were foundational to the creation of the National Comedy Center. For example, you did a lot of work and, and no doubt negotiating with the daughter of the great George Carlin. You also have had a personal appearance at least one and did quite a bit of organizational work with the Smothers Brothers. These are people who love comedy so much they want to see it enshrined. That, that's absolutely right. Um, Kelly Carlin was, was pivotal for us several years before we opened the Comedy Center when Kelly was deciding where, where to donate all her father's stuff. And, you know, the, my stuff uh, was, was kind of a Carlin bit. But Kelly realized, even before we opened the doors, what this institution was going to mean to the art form of comedy. And, and she, she was gracious enough to donate all of her father's work. This includes over 20,000 documents, handwritten notes, calendar entries, which we have digitized all of those. And you can go to the George Carlin exhibit within the museum, and you can call up on kiosk and look for jokes uh, and joke notes that are handwritten. You can see it in, 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 in George's own hand, uh, uh, notes about religion, uh, death, uh, sex, etc. And uh, you can call all, all of those up. And uh, we're very proud of that. And, and, and that Kelly making that decision certainly was a pivotal moment where you had other artists looking at the National Comedy Center very seriously as an institution uh, that was that was truly going to open and celebrate all of comedy. And I think one of the things, Kelly, she said it uh, a number of times, one of the things she's liked is the accessibility of, of, of everything that she donated, meaning we don't just keep things in boxes in a big warehouse in a kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark style where, where you know, maybe once every five years, we're going to pull these boxes out and put them on display. We believe wholeheartedly in trying to make as much of the collection accessible to visitors at all times. And that's what we did by digitizing all of George's work. Making his work accessible and how. Now, keeping in mind that we are working under FCC regulations here, Gary, <laughs> tell us about the Blue Room. Yes, and then I'll come back to the Smothers Brothers because I meant to answer that as well. The Blue Room is our, uh, you take the elevator down to the Blue Room where we celebrate and showcase uh, uncensored comedy. So, uh, of course, George is a large part of that um, with his seven dirty words. Uh, Lenny Bruce, who we celebrate uh, and who was just crucial uh, to... Um, 
moving the art form along and breaking, uh, you know, breaking, breaking down barriers. Uh, and of course, Richard Pryor. I mean, I would say that's the Mount Rushmore uh, in a way for uncensored comedy. But, but in the Blue Room, uh, yes, it's, it's for adults only and, and you have to be 18 or older because um, when you create your laugh band, you, we, we, we learn what your age is. And so unless your parents let you, you have to, uh, you can't go down there. But, um, you know, we tell very important stories about censorship and the First Amendment. Uh, we have an area that talks about uh, uh, roasts, uh, whether it's the Friars Club or Comedy Central or the old Dean Martin roasts. Uh, and, uh, and of course the Lenny Bruce story is, is very important. And, uh, and then we talk about things like too soon. Is there such a thing as too soon? Uh, one of the examples of that was, uh, you know, people making, uh, artists making jokes about 9-11 and, and uh, you know, whether that was acceptable uh, within a month of when that happened. So we, we, we take a very serious look at, at, at these kinds of topics while also providing entertainment. There are plenty of us listening right now who lived through that comedy hiatus after 9-11, and that was among the most sensitive subjects in a national conversation about what had just happened to us as a nation, as a people. So it, Again, you've just got everything covered, every corner with tremendous breadth as well as depth. And when it comes to, to depth, with a touch of subversive comedy, sometimes suggestive, but also politically subversive, according to the lore of the day and the people who wish to censor them, do tell us about the Smothers Brothers and their wonderful, famous, or infamous show. Yes, we were thrilled to... Um, uh start talking to uh, Dick and Tommy Smothers a couple of years ago. Uh, and I think they were really questioning why we were even interested in having them in our museum, not realizing how important they are to the art form. And we were thrilled that they joined us uh, in the summer of 2019. Uh, they spoke as part, we do a comedy week with our our neighbors uh, about 20 minutes down the road at Chautauqua Institution, which is this uh, you know, legendary leisure learning campus for nine weeks each summer. And we do a comedy week with them every other, every other year. And the, and the Smothers Brothers returned to the stage uh, for that comedy week. And uh, really we're on stage together for the first time in close to 10 years. Uh, mostly chatting, but doing some bits as well, and uh, then cut the ribbon later that day on an exhibit uh, display that we, we, we proudly have in our first gallery at the Comedy Center, which showcases uh, their, 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 their guitar and, and bass and their iconic uh, red uh, jackets that they wore on the Smothers Brothers show. And the Smothers Brothers show on CBS really was incredibly uh, influential and, and a milestone for television. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned, Gary, all the kind of rural comedies, because the one thing that was not uh, of that ilk was the Smothers Brothers on CBS starting in 1967, where they were 
They were talking about racism. They were against the Vietnam War. They took very strong political stances, which was, uh, you know, very controversial, uh, particularly within CBS management. They ultimately got fired uh, because of their stance, uh, likely because of their stance against the war, etc. So they were a couple of years behind, you know, the Norman Lear shows, etc., that were really making statements. Um, and they were fired, you know, and, and in fact, when, uh, when it was discussed with, uh, with Tommy about the show being canceled, Tommy, it, 50 years later, it's like, we weren't canceled, we were fired, you know, and uh, uh, they broke in, in new ground. And again, it's, it's something that was just an incredibly important moment for comedy and for television. And we, it was, when they came to visit us, it was 50 years after that firing. So uh, we're very proud to tell their story. And I'm so proud that you give them uh, all of the, the love and attention they deserve. I happen to have met Dick Smothers on three or four occasions and have been able to converse with him. He lives in the same town as me now, Sarasota, Florida. There, I see him at the grocery store. I see him in restaurants there and we will talk occasionally. It always amazes me at the traffic that goes by. You can be talking to Dick Smothers and people will seemingly not register that this man is in our midst, despite the fact that he and his brother are legends. And in from more than one angle, they sued CBS, which was considered career suicide. You don't sue the big eye, but they sued CBS and they won. And they won. And and yeah. I have talked to Dick Smothers, and you know, he is unaffected by all of that fame and the success and the controversy. Today, he's just living life, reaching in uh, through that uh, glass door. He opens it up and grabs a, a bottle of milk, just like anybody else, or a carton of orange juice, and he's just enjoying his retirement. But that he is connected so intimately with the National Comedy Center is a tribute to the Smothers Brothers and to you and your fellows for creating this wonderful place that celebrates their lives and their careers. And I might add, they were uh, in they, you know the writing team for the Smothers Brothers was amazing. When you look at it, was Rob Reiner and uh, and, and and Steve Martin and. Uh, just just an incredible bunch of people that went on to uh, incredibly successful uh, careers as well. More than, than you could even have imagined, that is yeah. for sure. In our last minute or so, please a few words about Carl Reiner. He was quite instrumental in the creation of the center. Yes, Carl was one of our founding advisory board members. He was just a very strong advocate from the very beginning. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we, we lost Carl a, a little over a year ago. Uh, we announced back in March on the Today Show uh, that we are renaming our archival and preservation department uh, in Carl's honor. And, uh, and we were lucky enough, the Reiner family donated uh, the, the Carl's archives to the National Comedy Center, which we are currently going through right now. And we plan on a Carl Reiner, a major Carl Reiner exhibit in 2022, which would have been Carl's centennial. And uh, we're just very excited. Well, you know, not only the Dick Van Dyke show, which was so crucial, but of course he was a, uh, a performer and writer for your show of shows. And of course, a director uh, uh, as well of, of, of note. And so the, the, there's few people that had the kind of career that Carl had over uh, seven decades. And uh, we're thrilled 
to be able to honor him at the Comedy Center. Oh, I'm so happy that you did so. Uh, what a versatile man, a funny man. And if you needed a guy to be funny in a film, the remake of Ocean's Eleven will give everyone a good taste of that. I thought he was terrific in that picture. Absolutely. And of course, his 2000 year, year old man recordings with Mel Brooks are legendary. <laughs> as well. so, uh, Absolutely. You know what? We have just scratched the surface here, Gary Hahn, but I'll tell you what, let's make a date. And we will have you back because I want to discuss the National Comedy Center and how it approaches late night television. That's a whole world unto itself. When you, you talk about Johnny Carson and Jay Leno and David Letterman, et cetera, et cetera. I would love to get into that subject matter with you. If we made that our only topic, it would be more than enough the next time we get together. Would love to, Gary. Absolutely. Beautiful. The National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York. Make plans to go there if you love to laugh and the world loves a good joke. Thank you so much, Gary Hahn, for joining us. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, Dream well and drive safely on the American road. 